Hello and welcome back to the Liberated Leadership Podcast, where we embark on a journey into the hearts and minds of extraordinary leaders. I'm your host, Steve Cuss of the Game Plan Consultancy. In this series, we delve deep into the stories and experiences of seasoned leaders who have blazed unique trails in the world of leadership. We explore the very essence of the liberated leadership model paradigm that I believe can change the way we think about leadership. This model isn't about titles or hierarchies. It's about fostering authentic, impactful leadership in every corner of our lives. The liberated leadership model encourages us to liberate our potential, nurture trust, and create environments where everyone can thrive. Today's episode is with Kavita Gupta, who I managed to catch in the summer of 2023 on a fleeting visit to London. Kavita has had a truly remarkable career. I list much of it in the intro, but she's been a financier, she's made films in Bollywood, and she's worked with the Mandela family in Africa. But what comes across strongly is her commitment to authenticity. Regardless of the situation she finds herself in or the industry she's working in, it's, it's her ability to trust herself and trust the future, even in, in certain times that impress me so much. She talks too about the lived experience of being the only woman in the room, which I found fascinating. There's, there's so much in this one. Remember the video version is available on the Game Plan Consultancy YouTube channel. Link in the profile, but for now, sit back and enjoy the unique insights from Kavita. Today, we are joined by a true visionary and a trailblazer in the world of finance and technology. Not only has she started innovative funds in East Africa, East Asia, the Middle East and the United States of America, she is also the recipient of the UN Social Innovator Finance Award. Welcome, Kavita Gupta. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. Thank you so much for making the time to join us. Now, I know you've worked with a lot of um, big companies like the IMF and McKinsey. IFC, yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry, IFC. <laughs> and, yeah, the IMF is something completely different. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but could you start... Didn't have that pull. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day, who knows. Um, but could you start by telling us about um, Consensus? Because uh, it's not your ordinary VC hedge fund, as I understand yeah. it. Yeah. So Consensus is a tech company. Mm. I started the Consensus Ventures, which was the investment part mm. of the company, which is mostly on a blockchain Ethereum focus. This is like back in 2017 when mm. Ethereum was the only chain out there as a layer one. Of course, today we have like over thousands of them. And it is, you know, it was innovative for its time because it was one of the first sort of like a VC hedge fund, the reason being because we were investing in equities like any other VC fund, mm -hmm. early stage, pre-seed, seed stage equity. But crypto also had a new component which was launched in 2016 mm -hmm. known as ICO, which is tokens. Right. And so it also invested in tokens, which is more has a liquid profile associated with it than the pure equity profile. So you are sort of managing hedge fund, public trading type of liquidity in your portfolio while also managing the equities, tra traditional equities. And so it was one of its kind, one of the first of its kind, 
which has become an industry standard today. And now my own fund, Delta Blockchain Fund, which mm. I started a year and a half back, continues to do that and take it to the next level. And what is your role in that particular company? Uh, f- the, the fund which I started. Mm. So I'm a founder, I'm a solo GP, mm. which I actually didn't think would be easy <laughs> and certainly not. But we invest in early stage blockchain technology, mm. technology which we feel are going to revolutionize the way you use internet today, technology today, interact and use your data uh, with all over the world over next 10, 20, 30 years. So that, that has you on the cutting edge of where finance and technology meets um but i also uh mentioned in the introduction that you won the un social finance innovator award now that was from your work setting up the green bond team is that correct could you tell us a little bit more about that yeah oh my god that that feels like a different world of my life altogether (laughs) this is all the way back like 2006 and 7 when i was still working at the world bank and the idea was uh, we were in this capital market groups on the trading mm-hmm. floor. And the question was, you're creating bonds, which is traditional liquid asset derivative product. Can you create an incentivized model for renewable energy at the public market level, which is trillions of dollars, so that you can attract money, but your collateral underlining asset is something which creates incentive to have a cleaner environment. Mm. So it was it was a project came out of Scandinavian government, especially who has always been ahead of its game with respect to governments in the world about creating derivative products which supports cleaner environment. And so we are thinking, what is going to be an underlining asset? Can you, so to, to give a simple example, today you have solar energy so mm. you have a lot of plants they have a uh, lot of solar solar panels those panels ultimately are infrastructure the land on which they are are infrastructure can you create them as like your house mortgage can you take that green land and put it as a mortgage put it as an underlying collateral to create products on top of it which institutions will buy more uh, goldman sachs of the world will buy mm. and then be able to initiate so that was the product we did. We created the first green bond. We thought the market is probably in the testing phase going to take 2 million, 5 million, 10 million. We were oversubscribed within mm. 24 hours. Wow. The team did a great job. And today, green bonds are a trillion dollar industry. I mean, that, that's truly remarkable. Now, I always think that any business ambition should be to change the world. And if we're going to change the world, we should be trying to change it for the better. <laughs> right. Did you? When you started that work, what was the motivation for you? Was it about the green aspect? Was it about learning more about finance? Was it about your career and developing or some mix of all of those and maybe something else entirely? I personally think, Steve, when you are young, you don't have that much maturity, at least in my generation. Mm. Today's kids are way ahead. I sometimes feel like, wow. I was so dumb at this age and like what a lot of people are doing. For me, at that point of time, I had no idea that this could be big. This would be something which will have a huge impact in the world. Okay. Or it would be something I'll be talking 20 years down the road, to be very honest. At that point of time, I just felt like there is a new interesting project happening. Mm. 
and I was lucky because my background was computer engineering so I had a technical background I've already have been on the trading floor for two years so I understood the financial okay. product creation and they wanted somebody who knew chemistry so that if some some scientist comes and say oh if the solar energy panel is going to move this much carbon dioxide how do you measure the value of carbon credits I can understand that chemistry and physics of it and connected to finance so I was the only one who had that connection so I was mm. picked up and also I think I was the youngest analyst that if I would have made a mistake they could have just fired me okay. and nothing would have changed right. yeah. so uh, so I think I was at the right time at the yeah. right uh, place yeah with the right attitude of saying I'm ready to put 15 hours a day so the opportunity found you opportunity was there I just raised my hand okay you know I just like this is fun I have already learned how to trade I can continue to do it but it's either going to be fun or oh I'll just go back and do this okay so, yeah. yeah the um innocence of youth you, you don't know what you don't know at that point it's often an asset yes. isn't it how did you get involved with the Mandela Foundation oh that was uh couple of years down the road mm. I uh, one of the places where I raised my hand and was stupid was uh, I was I was late in a group meeting at IFC and they were asking who wants to go to Bali that's what I heard that they're right. asking who wants to go to Bali and I'm like oh my god isn't that the beach area which every movie keeps on talking about yeah, yeah. I want to go to Bali and then I realized they were sending people to Mali which is a landlocked country in Africa. so I ended up in Africa for a yeah. project with IFC and it was fun and I realized it opened up my eyes to realize that there is again this is back seven and eight that there is one Africa, which is in my world, which was World Bank IFC world, is World Bank is still sending malaria pills. World Bank is still mm. sending AIDS uh, medicines and uh, a lot of food to the place. And there is the Africa, which I saw, which was doing financial payments using cell phones. Right. And everybody has a low quality Chinese phones. And even with... Uh, the tap phones, like button phones, people were sending each other bartering system money. And I was super fascinated with the technology. And Kenya was the headquarters. And so everybody goes to Nairobi. And then from Nairobi, you go to different places. Mm. Slowly, of course, now we have IFC expanded to Sierra Leone and then Nigeria. Uh, South Africa was the financial hub. And that just got me so interested that mm. I started getting a lot of involvement into early stage investments of tech in East Africa. And that also introduced me to uh, Kweku Mandela and the whole mm -hmm. amazing work they have been doing using sports. Mm -hmm. uh, for now, it's very fashionable to talk about this in America, but I'm talking right. about back in 2009, uh, using sports and movies to have a representation for African youth and to keep them away from drugs, which right. has been a huge problem on the street, and teen pregnancies. So I don't think the rest of the world still understand teen pregnancy in Africa is still a huge problem mm. uh, because in a lot of countries due to 
various domination of religion, condoms are not allowed to be sold. Right. And so uh, there were innovative ways to keep them busy and on the right path. And that's how I got involved. Maybe as a teenager, do you see qualities in yourself that led you to become a leader? Were you the sort of person who naturally took on responsibility for things? I think there are very few people who are mature enough as a kid to yeah. take responsibility. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like... I feel like there was always this weird feeling, I'll figure it out. What would I figure out? I didn't know. Right. It's not like I was the number one student in every like exam or I was the number one player or... I don't think when I look back, I I actually know people who were like always number one and mm. I have no idea what they're doing in their lives today, mm. you know. Um, so I don't think I was that kid. But what I remember is I was doing a lot of things like I was not number one, but I was pretty good academically. But I was also a state level swimmer. I was also a basketball team member. From my school, I was the head of debate society. So I was like, whatever I really liked, I would just go and do it instead of like, oh, I'm going to put all my energy in this and then I, I'm just going to compete and I'm just going to keep on competing to be number one. I was like living my life and I didn't have the pressure. But I recently have been spending a lot of time with my school friends and college friends and Hearing their perspective of how they saw me versus what I saw is very different. So, for an example, I was telling you about my friend Rajat, whom I went to college with. I know him since 2000. And I was always an impression I was a very people's pleaser. Like, uh, he thought that I was to an extent it would create a problem or stop me from what I want to do. And I would very sweetly with a smile disappear according to him. <laughs> and I would still do what I wanted to do. And probably he's right because I didn't have, I didn't have a unilateral, like one directional aim when I was growing up. So for example, a lot of my friends were like, oh, I'm in high school. I'm going to do very well in exam and I'm going to get to the best college. That was all they were talking about or doing. When I was in my high school, I was like, I want to see, I want to, I was the head of debating society and my passion was, how are other people, what other people want to do with their life after this? I was more curious about mm. what's out there because I was like, oh, these are six books. I need to read them. I need to do well in them. And then I'll get the exam. So I know the path. I'll make it happen. What else is out there? What else is exciting for me? And I think I was more interested in that. So I did well in my exam. But I also figured out, like after my high school, I dropped in a year and I tried to be a journalist, mm. which has nothing to do with engineering, which I yeah. still gave my exam for and ended up doing. But I was always curious about what else is there and what else is going to attract me and where else do I get to live a life which no one knows? I don't know. That's mm. the only weird thing which continues to be part of my life till today. So would you say that curiosity is the 
key defining quality that's guided you through the path? I just want to know what could this life be? What's going on with these people? What's in this business? Is that important? I think curiosity combined with, okay, I like it. Let's do it. We'll see whatever. Like, you know, ready to go in a non-tangential manner with my career or with my personal life. Mm -hmm. And having a weird confidence that I'll figure it out. Like going back, like till today. Yeah. <laughs> like just now, the reason you and me are able to do it because mm -hmm. my passport and my everything was yeah. stolen standing <laughs> at the Paris like train station. And I'm like, oh, but I do want to be in London because I have to see my best friend and have to do meetings. I'll figure it out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the trusting the universe. That's yeah, something. somehow. We'll, we'll and it has paid it. Did you have anyone, did you have like a mentor in those early phases or anyone giving you really good advice? So I do have mentors. And over the time I have found people I have looked up to, some are even younger than me and some are way older than me, some my age. I don't have one person I can say has guided me or given me solution in every problem because my problems have been so weird and unique <laughs> that anybody who is really good at one place cannot advise me in the other place. So for an example, my first boss, Nina Shapiro at World Bank, she continues to be my mentor today. She's also on the board of Afan. So she has mentored me through my professional life, my dating life, things when I have messed up, things when I'm about to mess up. But there also has been the phase when I took some time off and uh, suddenly I'm a movie producer or I'm mm. walking the red carpet and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I'm walking the red carpet at Cannes and I don't have anything to wear. I only have jeans, Nina. Like, Nina can't help me there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I, contextual. Yeah, so I have a lot of amazing people who have helped me and guided me. But I've also been... One thing which I've learned very early on from my time in Africa, that... You don't need to find only successful people to teach you what to do, what mm. not to do. Most of the time, people who have dared to experiment and probably haven't succeeded has better advice for you than people who have succeeded. You learn more from your failures than your successes. Yes. Yeah. I think that resonates so much with me. I always think... The expert is the person who's made the most mistakes, as long as they've learned from those mistakes, of course. Yeah, because people who have been successful, in my personal belief, and it has worked for me, is a combination of three things. Hard work, being at the right time, at the right place, and taking that opportunity to be lucky. Mm -hmm. One of those three things missing is only a failure for you. And so people who fail have analyzed it way more than the people who have succeeded in that because they have just moved on to the next level. I think that's really interesting you say taking the opportunity to be lucky rather than just being lucky because it implies you feel like there's an active step in being lucky. Is that right? Yes. So I feel like... I'll give an example. When I raised my hand to be part of the Green Bond, 
I had to raise my hand, right? That opportunity was given to a room of six people. So yes, I was lucky to be in the room where the opportunity was presented, but I had to raise my hand to take it. And once it came, then I had to work really hard to make it happen, to convert that luck into my destiny. Yes, I love that. Right? Yeah, that's really well put. So, yeah. So, what advice would you give to particularly young women then who are right at the start of their leadership journey and are maybe in that unpleasant doubt position? Can I? Why me? Can I lead? Should I lead? What, what advice would you give to young women in that position? I mean, life is a gamble, just take the gamble. Mm. I mean, I always tell people, and, and I still apply it to myself, when I walk into any situation, what is the worst going to happen? Mm. And I know a lot of people earlier used to tell me, oh, that's such a negative way to look at things. I'm like, no, that's my way to know the, to hedge my risk. What is worst going to happen? And am I going to be okay with that worst? And if I am, then let's just do it and we'll figure it out. You know, I think that's the way I live my life. And 95% of the times it has worked for me. It's never going to work 100% and nothing is going to work 100%. So if you walk into a situation, you are getting an opportunity where you can lead. Maybe you get less money. Maybe it's more riskier than your stable job. I don't know what the situation. I like... When I was at the top of my game at IFC and I was getting promoted two years in a row and I knew my third promotion was coming. and But I've been doing it for six and a half years. I've traveled half of the world by that time. Mm -hmm. And I was just done. There was a part of me which was like, I'm done. <laughs> and I always, I was a huge fan of Bollywood. I always wanted to know how things are done behind the scene. And I didn't know anyone. It's not like somebody was waiting for me in Bombay with the red carpet. I literally stalked my way to be an assistant director. And now when I look back, I'm like, why the hell and how the hell? But I'm very thankful that yeah. people took my craziness. Uh, and they are my very good friends now. But I sat down and everyone was like, oh my God, you're going to be like, a senior, senior, one of the youngest senior manager at the IFC. And why would you take a step back from that? And like, that's the stupidest decision of your life. And I was like, okay, let's assume I take an year off from this. If I have worked good, if my work is good because they are ready to give me promotion, I'm sure they'll be ready to hire me back at the same level, if not promoted level, right? So in my worst case scenario, if that after one and a half year, I realized that's not what I want to do. I want to come back here. It will take me another year and a half to get the promotion, which I get now. It puts me back three years in my life. But I get to experience and experiment something which is really inside me. And I'll never get to do it later in my life. I'm going to do it. Love that. And so there's a quote from Voltaire actually said that, Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. Do you think it's important to stay in the maybe? Do you have a choice? Mm. What is certain? I don't know yeah. anything which is certain <laughs> yeah. in your life. Yeah. I mean, I had a flight booked to Japan. I was supposed to be speaking after the Japanese Prime Minister on the stage on Wednesday. Yeah. 
I had everything booked. It still didn't happen. Instead, you're here talking to us. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm enjoying it equally, yeah, yeah. right? So what is certain? Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. And there is a saying in India, there's a very famous saying, live in today because even if you know where your dinner is coming, you are never certain where your dinner is coming from. You never know you are going to stay in the same city, in the same house and eating your dinner. Never underestimate the power of universe, where it's going to take you and feed you. Mm. So, Is presence really important to that in its widest sense, staying in the moment? You know, I... I have not got nirvana. <laughs> I haven't I haven't achieved nirvana and I don't think people do. When thing goes when it's bad days, I have mocked about the past, certain actions I have taken stupidly, wish I would have done it differently. But the thing is, you can't change it. So you have to snap out of it. Oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Plannings is plannings are important. That's how you try to move, put yourself in a direction. But the only thing you can really live is now, mm. you know. And this is what I'm going to think tomorrow. Oh, I had a really good coffee because I really wanted to have that coffee. I did meet that guy whom I was trying to meet for work or personal life. Or uh, I was in a bad mood and I was unkind to my driver or something you know so the only thing you can do honestly you don't have a choice apart from living now it's always this moment yeah mm. I, I i 100% agree with that okay let's let's move a little bit into your leadership style and approach you take to certain situations given that you've done a lot of innovative things you've gone into a lot of unknown areas Obviously, there's going to be lots of times where what you discover from the work is not what you were intending or not what you were expecting or, and what could be considered to be a, a failure. Mm. What, is, what is your approach to failure? <laughs> I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think it depends upon situation to situation and how do you describe failure for mm. that particular outcome, right? So if it is failure is, oh, I expected this person to do this and this is not what happened. I think how much does that impact me or my work or my credibility or my mood? I don't know. Like it's a lot of context. So you have to give me a little bit more context. Give me a situation and I can tell you. So let's say you've asked a team to go and solve a particular problem or answer a certain question that's key to the business and it had a certain goal in mind that you wanted to achieve. Then the team comes back and say, we haven't been able to answer that question at all. Our, our, it took us off into a completely different area and, and we haven't moved forward in, in the project in the way that we expected. We've discovered some other things that are completely tangential to that, but, but that's where we are. How, how would you respond to that team in that situation? I think now I'm mature enough. I've been managing people for a long time. I... I would say I'm very disappointed. This was important. This was a priority. Why haven't we been working on it? What has been the problem? What's been the issue? Why wasn't it raised before? If it's like, it's been a little bit of time and I haven't been aware of. And I'm like, no, I this is what I wanted. Let's focus on this. Let's drop everything off. Like you find the way forward to it. Because one thing I've realized, like, 
you can just be like you can keep on pushing people back but if you don't have a constructive way for them to move as a leader that's what you need to give you give a feedback and say okay i'm happy with this i'm not happy with this which is already you have told them it's working or not working and then you have to quickly just move into the direction where you want to go and you just move them give them the pathway help them go through that if they can't do it the best leader is very quickly to figure out whether this person can do it or not do it if there is a limitation find another resource and make it happen mm-hmm. because if that if a particular resource cannot perform what you want to perform you give them an opportunity then you tell them i understand this is a limitation i'm giving you an opportunity to do it if they still can't do it it's your job to move on because that person just can't do it you know and i think i wasn't that good about it earlier because i used to take it personally mm. i have just stopped taking things personally it's not about her or him it's not about me it's just about the work i think that detachment really helps i massively struggled with that on my leadership journey to not take it personally that's that's been the work of decades for me to try to separate that how how have you achieved that out of lot of disappointments okay and lot of crying nights <laughs> it's not easy we are because when you grow up your parents are teaching you attachments if you grow up in a good mm. family like my parents are the most loving parents i know right so all they taught me were attachments and love and you can do it and so you mirror the same thing when you start working with other people you want them to achieve good you want them to be successful and at certain point you say i am only a carrier or a vessel to give you an opportunity to be successful i am not responsible for your success yeah and that's when i think the detachment start because you should be able to give an opportunity but you should also be able to understand without putting the other person down that there's a limitation everybody yeah. has their limitation including myself yeah and that's okay and it's not it's not a judgment of the person as a person you know we all can't be michael yeah. jordan yeah <laughs> i wish we could be we all can't be michael jordan we all can't be michael phelps we all have limitations mm-hmm. right i i wish i can direct movies like greta gerwig but i can't that doesn't make me an unsuccessful person and that doesn't make me less so it's the same thing with other people yeah i think it's really important and a and a powerful insight you have there that our attachments that we learn from our parents give us that place of safety and as leaders actually we have to be quite brave to let go of that safety i uh, in order to mm-hmm. set other people free yeah because your expectations are also sometimes pulling them down mm. because they not necessarily want to be the best in the type of work which you expect from them to be and also from the other side and coming from the selfish perspective which actually took me a long time to be okay with one of my biggest idols in the world and it's going to sound funny but it he is is one of the biggest actors of india shahrukh khan he's not only one of the biggest mega stars he's one of the most successful businessmen but he's also if you talk to him which i have been very fortunate to one of one 
he can he grew from a middle class boy with no parents no money to literally rule not only the country but the world and i learned a lot of my detachment lesson from him or i got comfortable mm-hmm. with my detachment lesson from him because he only told me once he said if you want to be on the top there is only position for one person to be on the top and you have to be comfortable to be a only person to be on the top so if you are not okay to be alone mm. if you are not okay to be lonely don't try to be on the top it's also okay to be somewhere in the middle yeah you can have your whole group there yeah super powerful yeah the the loneliness of of leadership isn't necessarily talked about that much and certainly in sweden very different culture to uk worked a lot with swedish people it's considered a service to the other people to take on the burden of leadership partly for that reason so in the uk or the united states if you said to someone hey i've been promoted to be the leader of some sort say oh congratulations whereas in sweden they'd more say oh thank you that's yeah. kind of you it sh- maybe comes from some of that same place it does but also i feel like we celebrate the achievement we underestimate the amount of hard work the person has put in to mm-hmm. reach there so i'll give you an example and it's it's i'm not there yet to that extent but i've started observing that a lot of my let's 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 take an example i i i had a ted talk a couple of years back and a lot of my school friends and college friends came and they're like oh my god you did a ted talk that was amazing da 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 but at the same time they were irritated a little bit with me because i was not able to find time for dinners with them mm-hmm. 5 days before my ted talk because i was rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and i was scared to my bone that there going to be million people going to watch me a lot of people going to judge me based on this ted talk there was a lot of pressure so i could understand the irritation that hey you are in town but you are not having dinner with us or you are too big now to meet us and i kept on saying guys let me deliver this and the day after let's just meet everyone so i felt that they all want to be friends with the person who delivered that mm. but they're also irritated to be friends with person who's putting a lot of effort to deliver that and but at the same time that's just a small example but that happens everywhere we all do it i have mm. done this when i have invested in a founder and now suddenly the founder is like a 10 billion dollar company yeah. founder yeah. i invested in that founder when he was a 7 million dollar valuation founder so i so now i have to be grown up and say he has 200 people reporting to him he's very busy so his same half an hour coffee with me has a way more cost value proposition mm. than 2 years back and mm. i should be very thankful hey i know you have thousand things now thank you so much for taking time out it sounds really resonant to me with the um with like the band who says Yeah, it took us 20 years to become an overnight success. No one no one sees that work behind us. We've been working damn hard for 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah, those guys just overnight success. Right? Not so much. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Let's, let's move on then to focus. So when you're leading a team, there's so many things that could be done on complex 
projects and endeavours, how do you help a team focus on what really needs to be done right now in this moment? I think that depends upon the leader. Mm-hmm. And I'm sometimes between running across a thousand things, I feel like I'm behind to give really good focus to my team. But then that's when it comes to you find the really good deputies and you help them grow and they mm-hmm. keep in your absence your team. And have learned it over time that it will never work if there's only one good leader. You can never grow. Then you are then you will become the bottleneck. Yes. So what you have to do is you need to have a focus and then you have two or three people who keeps the focus for the rest of the team. And you need to keep on checking with those two, three people while while having a culture that anybody in that hundred people team can also reach out to you. Mm-hmm. So you are accessible with the respect that you only have limited time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're checking on the priorities across the different verticals. So you're, yeah, so the only real way to scale is by empowering the next Other level people. of leaders. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a pain, right? At the same <laughs> yeah. time, because if any one of them leave, then suddenly you have a big vacuum too. But it's worth it. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Okay, let's, let's talk about something. We've sort of touched it on some of the things we've already talked about is creating belief and then many of the things you've done are are brand new things that no one's done before you also talked about the way you got into Bollywood where there was no reason why someone should believe in you so how how do you help people you lead believe in something that might sound impossible on the face of it or at least quite close to impossible. How, how do you help people with that as a leader? Be humble. If you don't know anything, it's okay. I mean, there is no one who knows everything, right? Once you understand that you are, you, the respect is not about that somebody thinks you know everything. The respect is being honest about, I can deliver this, I don't know, but if you tell me, I will put all the effort to be able to deliver with the best of my ability. So I was a senior person, had eight people managing at IFC, and I landed up on a movie set being an assistant director, which is the bottom of the level. And I, because I so wanted to see how it is done, I was okay to serve coffee and tea. I remember the director of my movies, like you are the most educated person on the set. Are you okay with this? And he wasn't sure. He thought I'm going to have ego issues on the set. And he was right because the first day some random dude, like really junior dude on the set is like, hey, can you get that mop and that actress need something? And my first reaction was like, it was about to come out of my mouth. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm like, sure. I did it. And then suddenly the actress is like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm like, no, that's part of my job. I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll take care of it. I was a costume AD. So (laughs) it's my job to make sure uh, your continuity costumes are ready. And if I have to iron them, I'll iron them if somebody's missing. And I think as soon as I put that humility out there and took out my ego, everybody around me was there to help me. Yeah, I, I love that. I really believe that. I think a quiet ego is critical for creating belief in people. Because, you know, in a lot of situations, people use that phrase, park your ego at the door. 
It's actually impossible, isn't it? You cannot not have an ego. <laughs> all you can do, all you can really do is allow your ego and then go, okay, that's just my ego. But I will go and mop the floor and I will go and do my job. It will come. And But I also realized you find a place to a balance. So for an example, when I was on the set, I would be like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. But I also had experience in a lot of things which I bought, right? So I very quickly in two days realized that there were some budgeting issues which are happening. The calculations were wrong. Mm. And I started telling it to my associate producer. And he very quickly made me an associate producer on the fourth day on the set. But I said, I'll do this. Excel is very easy for me. I'll do it in my sleep. But I still want to learn this. I want to be on the set. I want to be behind the camera. I want to see how the angles are being taken how these amazing actors are doing. And so I didn't leave that. And But at the same time, Steve, once everything was done and at night we would go for dinners, I was not ready to compromise on really good food <laughs> <laughs> because I could pay for it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would take them to the restaurants and they're like, yeah, here comes the banker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you have to bring your whole self to whatever you do, can't you? <laughs> Yeah, it would have been probably disingenuous to pretend that wasn't the case, I think. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about trust, actually. I think it's it's so important in any business situation or any life situation. What do you think is, how do leaders build trust? How do you build trust as a leader? Here's what I, I found. <laughs> What's that, Steve? Apple Watch seems to want to answer the question. <laughs> Siri is listening to all of this. <clears throat> I think different situation needs different genuineness mm. to build that trust. And also different situation needs sometimes fake make-believe to mm. evoke initial trust. I'll be very honest with you. I've been in a situation where I knew that if I go real, if like, I I was once on a yacht with a couple of billionaires. They, like, who, but they were like family generational wealth billionaires. They were mm. like not self-made people. Of course, but they have gone to best schools and mm. uh, they were managing their family money and all that stuff. But I knew that they wanted to talk about the deep tech but they had no idea about the deep tech. And they can't take beyond two minutes if I really go into the technology. So I faked half of the shed there. Right. And that created trust there. And did they really understand? No. So I really dumbed down to the level when the technology, what I was telling them, actually wasn't even right. But I also knew, I also didn't know any other way to explain it which I thought they would get it while keeping their interest into the topic and so I was like yeah 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 you're right you're right which I knew they were right and that is also a way sometimes to get the trust but when it comes to your own team members who are smart as hell I think just be honest I am very open to say hey I didn't understand because like within my team I have two really amazing tech geniuses they understand the deep part of blockchain technology more than me because now I'm a little far removed 
I'm more on the business side. I'm more on the fundraising. I'm more on working with portfolio companies, talking to new founders. They go deep into the codes of it, smart contract audits of it. So I'm a little removed. So I actually ask them. I'm like, no, I didn't get it. Make me understand it. But if they make me understand I still didn't get it, I say, okay, can you send me the link? And I'll go through the link. I'll put in the effort, mm. then have a conversation so that they also have a trust and believe in me that I'm not cutting corners. Yeah. And I am trusting them, but I'm also going to learn and grow and question them back. And you're also meeting them where they are by you're demonstrating that, aren't you? How, how important is patience for building trust, do you think, as a leader? And how, a second part to that, how easy is it for you to be patient as a leader? You're talking to a girl who grew up asking my dad, dad, can I get patience? But now, <laughs> my biggest, biggest, biggest problem in life is I don't have patience. I want everything now. And I used to get a lot of anxiousness and I used to really mess up things, both personally and professionally, mm. because I didn't, I never got things in my own timeline. And I used to always have a little negativity around it. But I also start then, I think the part and parcel of growing up is actually acknowledging that it's never going to happen. So now sometimes when things happen in the timeline before I have accounted for, I'm like, what happened? Yeah, wow. <laughs> Something is wrong going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a patient person by nature, but... I have learned to surrender <laughs> is the word. It's right. still irritating. Yeah. But you don't have a choice in life. You just have to accept that, that that's the core it's part of who you are. That you're an impatient person and you can still lead from that place as long as you acknowledge the truth of that. It's still painful to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a similar enthusiasm for an idea. You can see the vision and the end place and in the, and the passion and the desire to get. I want it now. I want to be there. I can see the vision. Let's just jump the boring bit where you have to do all the work between yeah. and let's get there. So, yeah, I totally understand that. And I think passion matters a lot. So similar or the partner in some ways to the focus question is helping teams or people you lead set their ambition at the right level. I mean, there's an ambition that's absurd, you know, something where that's impossible for us to achieve. And there's an ambition that isn't going to grow the business in any way. And somewhere between those two extremes is is the sweet spot. Uh, how do you how do you help? How do you find that for yourself? And how do you help um, teams find that? I think you also have to find the right partners mm. in your team. Mm. You're going to find some people who just every part of it. So I feel like building a team together is putting different type of pieces together and have the right expectations from those type of pieces. You always have to have team members. All they want to do is come deliver their job and go. You know, not everybody wants to be super ambitious. And you also need those people because the you continuity do. will come from there. Mm -hmm. I learned it the hard way. You, if you have a team of only ambitious people, uh, if you're entrepreneurs, that's fine. But somebody has to keep the lights on. Somebody has to turn up on time, switch the light on, switch it off at the right time, make sure the bills are being paid. There is an office which is clean. 
So you need those really amazing, consistent people who just want to stay consistent. Then you need one or two crazy people who just will jump on your idea, do the research, and then you can, and then you need the third person who is going to bring the practicality and the reality to that craziness. If you can figure out these different type of groups and put them together, you are the most successful business people. Yeah, so the, the power of team building is critical. And then do you find, if you've got that right mix, that the ambition settles almost naturally into the right spot? Yeah, because the then you can just moderate. Then you can just throw the idea. Mm. There will be some people who will jump on it. Some people will be like, oh, I don't know. And some people like, you figure it out while I make sure everything else is working. Yeah. And then those people who have jumped on it after a week or two come back and say, this is what we can do, blah, blah, blah. And the cautious person will come and say, think about this. And then comes the beauty of being a leader for you to say, let's do it. Let's try to put in some resources. Mm -hmm. Let's hold on. Let's deliver this and come right. back to it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. What's your approach to getting and giving feedback? So I am not, I don't think I'm there where I want to be. I think sometimes when I really, so there is there is a colleague of mine right now. I, I think he's a genius guy. He's really good. But he doesn't want to be a genius. <laughs> like, right. I believe in his capability more than he believes in himself. Mm. So I know he can do it, but he just gives up very fast. That is also one of the biggest problems for people who are very capable. They are so scared to acknowledge what all they can do if they push themselves that they just want to give up. Because the thing is, they are already on the top of the cream from their peer just by being average. They're already on the top of the cream. Mm, yes. Right? So this colleague of mine, very young guy, 24, I think, 24, 25, the amount of money he's making is already top of the cream of his whole university, right? So he's already super achiever mm. for his crowd. But I think he's gonna be, he can be super achiever even for my crowd. Yeah. So, and so I try to push him and he tries to give up on it and I end up shouting at him. <laughs> and as soon as I shout at him, I realize I'm like, and then I calm down. I'm like, you know, the only reason I'm so sure, like so negative on you or so pushy on you is because I know you can do it. With other people, I don't even have that expectation. So over time now, I handle it with like a silver glove. But I also get super frustrated at him, very fast frustrated at him because I'm like, oh my God, it will take two hours for somebody to understand it. If this guy focuses, he'll do it in two minutes, but he just don't, don't want to do it. So sometimes you are in that situation mm. where you want to push a other person to achieve what you see in that person and they're like, no, no, I'm very happy here. But when there are other people, you're like, okay, this is the max they are, can do and they're doing a very good job and I'm balanced with them. But I do have a soft corner for... Across different fields I get involved in with people, I feel they can be so good and then they don't want to be that good. I'm like, no, no, you have to be that good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not able to detach myself there and my feedback loops are bad there. Yeah, I'm going to believe in you even if you don't believe in yourself. <laughs> I'm going to 
be ambitious for you. Even yeah. If you want to do it. And so on the flip of that, a phenomenon I've noticed is when people get into leadership roles or senior roles, they get treated as if they're the finished article and everyone stops giving them feedback. When I think it's the time when we most need feedback, when we're taking on the most responsibility. Has that happened to you or do you still get good feedback in your leadership roles? No, there are a lot of times. Like right now I'm running my own business. Who's mm. going to give me feedback? Mm. So I go to my uh, people who report to me. When I do one-on-one with them, I ask them, do you think anything we are not doing? Do you mm. think I should be doing something else? Am I not focusing or something? Some people get shocked about that question. Some people give me a good feedback and we work on it. Some people have a perspective which I'm like, oh. And then I give them the reason we are not doing those things. I think it goes back to never imagine you are perfect and mm. never imagine you are doing everything right. I ask my friends. I have gone to funds. Uh, like there is uh, there is a general partner of a billion dollar fund whom I really look up to. I do my one-on-ones with him and I say, hey, on the paper, I may be competing with you, but I'm very happy to like be a strategic partner. But I want to be where you have been. Uh, what do I need to do? Where mm. can I go wrong? I think you always, you have to create that loop for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Is it possible to be completely authentic at work? Yeah. And why? <laughs> <laughs> you Should you even try? I mean... Does authenticity matter? Authenticity matters about what it is. Like, can I be completely honest about what do I think about the other person now? Mm. I can't be that honest with my mom all the time. Forget about somebody else or my best friend all the time. I think you can be authentic and honest about the goals. But I think be authentic about who you are. What are you ready to do for the other person? But you cannot be honest all the time about at given a particular situation, you think the other person is bullshitting or the other person is really not doing what they are expected to do. You just say, okay, I wanted this. This is okay, but I want more. Please take a day, but I want it ASAP and I want to see this. You put stronger timelines to it and you move back. You have, You can't be authentic about like we just can't it's and i think the authenticity definition which is taught in schools are not practical right because every relationship every conversation is a give and take relationship and a give and take conversation in this world and that has the core of how do you project yourself yeah you were telling me before we started that your early leadership positions, you were consistently the only woman in the room as well. How, how does that, what does that mean for authenticity for you, being the only woman in the room? I think you, during that time, I didn't know anything differently. I was one of the four women in a class of 150 students at engineering college. I... I was the only one in my whole family studying science as a woman. So you just think that is just how the world is and that's normal, you know. Even now, 
Unfortunately, I have only two women out of the 52 portfolio companies of mine as founders. So when I'm sitting in a room and I'm rotating meetings, I'm only meeting men, one after another, after another. So, so you are authentic about work on that table, about what as an investor, strategically you can help them. They are being hopefully authentic about what they can give you as a founder and how they're going to build. But you're not going to be authentic about, oh, I actually don't like your personality or you're making me uncomfortable or I am PMSing, I'm not feeling good today. Like, you're not authentic about you as an individual at that time. You can't be because you have a facade of being a professional person and you have to perform well. At the same time, you are not going to fit into uh, the category of other guys. Hey, like, you have to draw a line. If a woman is meeting a guy, is meeting a founder, I have to draw a line after my one drink. A guy can have five scotches and keep on talking about a hmm. lot of other things. If I go in that direction, the conversation about me or the rumors about me are going to be very different on the mm. street. Mm. Judged by a completely different set of standards. Unfairly, of course. I can't, I can't invite a founder for a 10.30pm drink meeting mm. Mm. Yeah. in a hotel lobby where I'm staying. <laughs> So having navigated that world and obviously had huge success that we've discussed today, what what advice would you give to women who are just starting out and find themselves as the only woman in the room? Just be you. Read your gut feeling. If your gut feeling is telling you, I'm, I draw my line here for anything, draw your line there. Because this world is changing right now for good. Like the dynamics of being a woman in the workplace is changing and nobody has the right answer or the right dimension of it. You know, I have done, I think I have been in a situation which can be deemed wrong by other people. I didn't feel wrong, you know. And I have been in a situation where I have felt something was not okay and for a lot of people it was okay. So there is no right or wrong, if you don't feel okay, find a very reasonable excuse and move, remove yourself away from that and it's okay. Mm. You know, I have walked away from a deal where I felt like I wasn't comfortable with the founder. And I asked two of my colleagues who are male, and of course I can't ask them, they're young, they're also 10 years younger than me in the same way Hey, as a woman, I felt a little uncomfortable. Like, I can't ask them. So I said, what do you think about the founder? Do you think he's a great guy? And they have all the right things because they can never see the situation in, from my lens. Mm. And I can't expect them to. And I didn't know. And I didn't know. Should I explain it to them? Can I explain it to them? Mm. So I just said, hey, I don't know. I, I said, I can't explain it to you, but I don't feel that this founder is going to be consistent and going to stick to this project for long. Mm. I have no data whatsoever. I just have this gut feeling. Is it okay if we pass it on that? Mm. But I gave them an option and I gave them an option to fight with me if they don't. Thankfully for me, they didn't. And it also luckily for me, exactly the way I thought it did. It happened and actually that founder had a sexual case hmm. against him after some time. He didn't do anything wrong to me. Right. I just felt really Your off. intuition told you. There's something off. Go here. 
it's just the way he looked or looked mm-hmm. at me or something and so so i always tell when young women investors and i try to mentor as many as possible ask me i said there are no rule books for you guys and there will never be because every generation will come with a different understanding expectations and behavior patterns now you know mm. so just use your gut feeling that's it trust that intuition just a couple more questions cuz we're running out of time it's flown, <laughs> flown by hasn't it what do you find stressful about leading about leading mm. you're never off mm. i was on vacation for my birthday march 30th and 31st i was sitting and making sure everyone's payroll was out in maldives in the middle of autumn Mm-hmm. You're never off. So how do you deal with that? You just be okay with the responsibility. Mm-hmm. You chose it. Be okay. Take it as a part and parcel. The way even on vacation you eat, the way even on vacation you have to drink water and dress up. Take it as that chore, and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And finally, what's what's the future for you? What do you still want to learn? What do you still want to achieve as a leader? I don't know about to achieve but I want to learn so much. There's so much happening in the world. I feel like at some point like I want to see where like I'm passionate about the decentralization of the world house privacy, how AI and blockchain going to merge together and create an accountability like we are talking about the world of robotics, right? And we are talking about the machine taking over the world. And if that's going to take I feel like blockchain will become the check and balance and the control part of those robots and i want to see i don't know how yet mm. but like i can see a little bit pieces of it so i want to grow there i also want to do a lot of documentaries i still want to produce a lot of documentaries i at some point in my life i want to learn some fashion designing mm-hmm. i don't know there's like a lot of dreams out there but i at the end of my life i just want to when i look back i don't think oh you were the 5 billion dollar investor is what's going to make me happy mm. i think if i have supported multiple companies and founders who have legacies that will make me happy if i look back and i said i did that i did that i did that and like lived life that will make me happy and if i've traveled 90% of the world that would be well we can any wish you the best of luck and from everything i've had today <laughs> i'm pretty confident you're going to succeed with all of those goals as well thank you so much for sharing your insights and your leadership journey with us today that was that was wonderful thank you awesome really remarkable insights from Kavita there and a real testimony to trusting yourself trusting the universe and trusting the people around you to get to the result that you know is right for the people and the purpose you're trying to serve and I really enjoyed Kavita and thank her so much for spending that time with me so as I wrap up this episode I want to extend my gratitude to listeners old and new your support really does mean the world to me and it's keeps me going with this work. I appreciate you being part of our growing community to stay connected and ensure you never miss an episode. Please consider subscribing to the podcast. We regularly release new episodes featuring more amazing leaders, remarkable stories, and I hope valuable insights. So remember leadership is not just a title, it's a way of life. 
It's about inspiring others, fostering trust and creating environments where everyone can thrive. It's about leading with the heart. Keep the liberated leadership spirit alive in your own leadership journey and let's continue to learn, grow and lead together. Drop by the gameconsultancy.co.uk website if you want to connect with me. Until next time, stay inspired and stay empowered. We'll see you in the next episode of the Liberated Leadership Podcast. Subscribe, stay tuned and lead with the heart.